Having said all of that, if you would open your Bibles with me to James chapter 4, we are going to be finishing the last paragraph in chapter 4 this morning. James 4, verses 13 through 17. Listen now to what the Lord tells us in his word. James 4, 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. This is the word of the Lord. Bow with me in prayer. Father, expose now, we ask, according to your mercies, those places of our lives in which we have uh, shut you out or sectioned you off, thinking that it is, uh, it is our will and our wishes that will rule the day. Help us to be reminded again of how prideful and how arrogant that is to assert our independence from our Maker and our King. We thank you for the way that you continue to be gracious and merciful to us even when we don't deserve it. We thank you for Jesus and for your spirit. Amen. So, planning in arrogance. One of the things that uh, we want to do is we'll try to take this in, in three parts. Uh, one, negatively, James identifies what it is that these people, these Christians, by the way, I think he's addressing Christians, what it is that they're saying and you might even consider parenthetically not just what they're saying, but what they're thinking. Right? So what you say and what you think. Number two, what you ought to say and think. So James gives the corrective. And then number three, at the end of it all, since James is addressing the problem that we have with ignoring God in our planning, we want to remind ourselves at the end that ignoring God is itself a sin. So number one, here is what you and I tend to say or are tempted to say and think. It starts off in verse 13. Come now you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Right. All of these verbs that are, in the, that are in verse 13 are all future tense verbs. So if you're coming back and you're, you're tracking back through, we will go... We will spend a year there. We will engage in business, and we will make a profit. All right. All four of those verbs, future tense verbs, which demonstrates in, in, uh, right away that the issue here is what these people are projecting as it concerns their own life and livelihood. Future planning, making plans for the future. James wants to bring a corrective to that. Now, it's important to say right from the outset 
that what the corrective is and is not about. Okay? So the problem here is not that these people are making plans, that Christians will say. We need to be more specific. The problem is not that Christians would make plans about what's going to happen tomorrow or the week after or even years down the road. The problem is not that Christians are involved in business or trade. The problem is not even that Christians who are involved in business and trade make a profit in their business. None of that is is really what's at stake here or what's at issue. The problem is not planning or business or money per se. The problem is living life as if you're in control of everything. The problem is living your life as if God didn't exist. Or, perhaps you try to have it have the best of both worlds. Yes, God exists. Yes, God is in control. But he is more concerned about controlling these areas over here. And he's left me to these areas over here to which my mind and my planning rules and reigns supreme. Right? So then, what I come and what I do when I gather with my brothers and sisters on Sunday morning, all of that is God's time. All of that is God's purpose and God's planning. But then once I set foot outside of here... Once I go to the office or once I go to the classroom, once I'm back home, then, then that officially becomes my time and those are my plans. I get to do with that what I, what I want. Do you see? Just to stress the point that the, that the issue is not planning or designing intentions in and of itself. Just listen, you don't need to turn there. Just let me read in rapid succession Three or four statements from the book of Proverbs. So Proverbs 16.1, The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. 16.3, Commit your works to the Lord, and your plans will be established. 16.9, The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And then Proverbs 19.21, many plans are in a man's heart, but the counsel of the Lord will stand. Do you hear that? The issue is not that we would make plans. In fact, one of the ways that we demonstrate wisdom and concern for the things of this life that are under the lordship of Christ is by making plans for the future. But the problem is when our plans give no evidence or leave no room for the fact that ultimately it's his will that supersedes our will. So let's just stop right here for a second because for the sake of relevance and application, don't lull yourself into thinking that the only way that this comes into view for a Christian is if you are a businessman or a businesswoman. There are hundreds of ways that we make plans, both big and small. You make plans, teenagers. You make plans about the school that you're going to go to after high school. What college am I going to go to? Am I even going to go to college? 
you plan for your future by planning for college. Along with planning for college, teenagers, young adults, either in college or post-college, you are already beginning to make plans for the career that you're going to pursue. What am I going to do for the rest, with the rest of my life? How am I going to work? How am I going to provide? How am I going to pay the bills? You plan for marriage when you see or find that special someone. You enter into marriage, and you begin to plan. If you haven't already, you begin to plan what you're going to do about starting a family. Do we want a big family? Do we want a small family? You plan the kind of job that you're going to take or that you're going to decline when new offers arise. You plan to invest, you plan to save, you plan to retire, you plan to do something with your retirement. Do you see all of this, all of this future planning? And all of it, although in and of itself not wrong, can be 100% godless. A kind of practical atheism where you don't necessarily deny the existence of God, but for all practical intents and purposes, he has no real bearing on anything that you're doing in the way that you anticipate or plan for what lies around the corner. There are two problems with that kind of perspective. Two problems that James gives us. The first one comes in verse 14. The problem with making plans, even if they're good plans, without any acknowledgement of the Lord or His will or His work, the problem with that is that verse 14 tells us you're ignorant. You don't know what you're talking about. Look at verse 14. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. Or some of your versions may have something like, you don't know what tomorrow will be like. What is your life? Your planning assumes that you know more than what you actually know. You don't know how much longer you have in this life as we know it. None of us do. You don't know what's going to happen in the next 30 to 45 minutes. Merritt, what are you going to do after you get done with the, with the service today? Oh, I'm going to go home. And if my son and daughter-in-law will allow me, I'm going to hold my grandson. I'm going to hold my grandson while I watch the Falcons, hopefully win a game. I'm going to eat. I'm going to rest. I'm going to relax. How do you know that, Merritt? You don't know if you're even going to make it home to do any of that. If I can't know what happens within the next hour, how am I going to know what's going to happen and what I can count on in the next year or the next decade? It's impossible. Listen to the perspective that we have in Psalms. Turn, turn here with me. Turn to Psalm 39. Psalm 39, and then we're going to jump to Psalm 90. Psalm 
Look with me at verse 4. Psalm 39, 4. Lord, make me know my end and what is the extent of my days. Let me know how transient I am. Behold, you have made my days as handbreadths and my lifetime as nothing in your sight. Surely every man at his best is a mere breath. At his best is a mere breath. Surely every man walks about as a phantom. Surely they make an uproar for nothing. He amasses riches and does not know who will gather them. Turn over to Psalm 90. Start with me at verse 10. As for the days of our life, they contain 70 years, or if due to strength, 80 years. Yet their pride is but labor and sorrow, for soon it is gone and we fly away. Who understands the power of your anger and your fury according to the fear that is due you? So teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Do you hear that? Wisdom is not the ability to prognosticate what's going to happen with the stock market in another 5, 10, or 20 years. Wisdom is knowing that in another 5, 10, or 20 years, I may not even be here. That's wisdom. Wisdom is knowing that you are a mere vapor at your best. When you are in the prime of life, young people, you are still nothing compared to the one who made you and who sustains you. Your life is a vapor, right? We hear vapor words and we think of the vapor that sort of hangs over Columbus with the humidity, and we think, oh, vapor is always there. It's never-ending. That's not the vapor that's being talked about. The vapor that's being talked about that your life is being pictured as is when we have that one week of winter every year, and you go outside, and it's cold out, and you exhale, and you see that little puff of breath come out. It's there for like a second, and then it's gone. That's you. Or if you step outside on that one cold week and you exhale and your breath begins to proceed from your mouth and a gust of wind comes, it doesn't even last for a second. That's you. You don't know what tomorrow holds, but you plan as if you hold the future. You don't know how long your life is going to last, and yet you act and plan as if your life is never going to end. So the problem is not just that you're planning in ignorance. You can't possibly know the things that you're assuming that you know. But ultimately what this gets down to a little while later in verse 16 is not only that you're ignorant, but you're arrogant. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. 
If we were to break this down, you boast in your arrogance. The arrogance seems to be just the mere thought that you are in control of your life. Boasting in your arrogance is when you actually share that arrogance with other people to let them know what your plans are. So once again, <laughs> here we are being convicted without even having to open our mouths just to think that my life is in my hands makes me guilty of arrogance. I don't even have to say what is in my heart or what is coursing through my mind. Just to internally think about it myself makes me an arrogant man when I plan or think or assume that my life will go according to my plan. Let's do this. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Skip down with me to, to Deuteronomy 8 verse 10. Listen, to, to show that this is a danger, right? Neglecting, forgetting, ignoring the Lord in your work. Consider what the Lord says to his people in Deuteronomy and how he warns them. So Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 10 and following. When you have eaten and are satisfied, you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes which I am commanding you today. Otherwise, when you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold multiply and all that you have multiplies, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. Skip down to verse 17. Otherwise, that is, if you forget the Lord your God, you may say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand made me this wealth. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. You can go through life as a Christian, as a child of God, knowing full well, living your life under the Lordship of Christ, in the fear of the Lord, and you can drift from that awareness. Every day, you and I are being tempted to forget that if there is any good thing that we have in this life or anything that we can set our eyes on in the future, if there is any good thing, it is ultimately from the hand of the Lord, not from our own hands. And let me press this a little bit further. If you go into Deuteronomy chapter 9, here's something that I'd, I'd, I think this is a connection between Deuteronomy 8 and 9. Look down at verse 4. So the Lord has been telling them in Deuteronomy 8, don't think that when you're enjoying the fruit of your labor that it's your hands who have done all this, right? It's, it's me. I've given you these things. But look, there's another danger that crops up in Deuteronomy 9, verse 4. Do not say in your heart, when the Lord your God has driven them out before you, because of my righteousness, the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. 
but it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is dispossessing them before you. Verse 5, it is not for your righteousness or for the uprightness of your heart that you are going to possess their land, but it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord your God is driving them out before you in order to conform, confirm the oath which the Lord swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Verse 6, Know then it is not because of your righteousness that the Lord your God is giving you this good land to possess, for you are a stubborn people. Here's the other way that planning can work in a wicked way in the heart of a believer. You can make plans for the future believing that God owes you something. Because I'm a faithful attender, because I'm a faithful giver, because every day I have my quiet time, because I don't kick the dog anymore, because I talk nice to my wife and my kids, because I'm a good neighbor to the jerk who lives next door to me, because of all these things, surely what I set my mind to do, God is fine with that. Do you see what happens there? So it's neither in the work of your hands that you succeed, nor is it because of the work of your righteousness, such as it is, that you succeed. In everything, in every way, it is the Lord and the Lord only who gives you any good and perfect gift. So back to James. If ultimately then, to make plans of my own thinking, of my own will and whims, is a godless, arrogant way to plan, what should I do? What should I say? And James gives it to us in verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. Now, once again, don't, don't miss the very first part. If the, James could have said, what you ought to say is, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. What does he say? If the Lord wills, we will... We will what? Live. If the Lord wills, we will live. You haven't even gotten to the point yet where you can plan your day, just the fact that you remain upright is dependent upon God's goodwill and grace to you. Every beating of your heart, how much does your heart beat in the course of a day? I didn't know, so I googled it. This is what the Google machine tells us. That your heart beats approximately 100,000 times in one day. And about 35 million times in a year. During an average lifetime, the human heart will beat more than 2.5 billion times. If the Lord wills. The beating of your heart is no more in your control
than the future is. The very fact that you sit here to draw another breath, that your heart beats once again, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of times, every single individual heartbeat is a gift from God according to His will and His purpose in your life. You control nothing. By the way, if we can stop here for a second, right? Because this, if, if you're not careful, this begins to sound sort of doom and gloomish and ominous. And that's not, that's not what I intend, believe it or not. Because the other side to this is, if every single heartbeat is according to his good will for my life, how good has God been to me? How long? Has God been good to me? You wake up in the morning. Just there. You wake up. And the sun is rising if you wake up that early. And you look and you say, He's done it again. And I'm here to enjoy it. You ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So that if you live and can get to the this or that, even the this or that is part of what God wills. Turn to Psalm 127. Psalm 127, 1 and 2. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors, for he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. Did you hear that? You are so much not in control of your life that even when you are unconscious, God is still working for you. That is how not in control we are. Some of you might be tempted to say, well, all of this is fine and good, but... My self-made plans and my self-made efforts have done me pretty good so far. I'm comfortable, got a good family, got a good career, don't lack anything. So, yeah, this is probably good for, for the other people, but, but not necessarily for me. Except that when James wraps this up in his conclusion in verse 17... 
Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. To him who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. That means that for you to know that you ought to submit your plans to the Lord, that you ought to submit your life to his will and his commands and let that direct you in all of your planning. To not do that, just simply to omit God from the planning, is sinful. You are not prospering because of your sin. You're prospering in spite of your sin. And every single sin will one day be brought to account. This seems so normal to us to plan our future, to plan for retirement, to plan for college. And yet, how often would we have to say, in light of what God shows us in his word here in this passage, that our planning looks and sounds no different from the rest of the world? If someone looked at your plans, or if someone heard you talking about your future plans, would they have any idea that you were a Christian? Would there be any indication on what it is that you're looking forward to or what you're projecting to do and why? Would there be any indication that you're different? Do you see how even normal living under the gaze of an all-knowing, all-holy God is itself utterly sinful? And yet, as sinful as what we are in this life, that every time we plan or aspire or design or determine to do something apart from God, sinful as that is, guilty as it makes us, to those who have been united to Christ, we are never cast away. Do you realize that as we go to the table, as we enjoy communion together, as God's chosen covenant people, do you realize that in light of James 4, 13 through 17, one of the gracious things that the Lord is speaking to you and to me, to his people, is this. That for some of you, you've gone through the week or a month or more not thinking anything about me. And yet because of Christ... Your father says, but I'm thinking of you. Come and eat. You've ignored me. You've turned a deaf ear to my word. You haven't listened when I've spoken to you. But would you listen to me call you now to say, come sit at the table and eat and be fed? 
We are so sinful and undeserving, even on our best day, and he is so gracious and faithful. Let's pray. Father, as we turn our attention to the table that you have given us at the cost of your own son, we ask that you would keep us humble, that you would help us to confess our sin very quickly and genuinely so that we would know the forgiveness that is ours in Christ. Do your work by the power of the Spirit, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.